1: hello duke fans and welcome to episode 170 of the duke basketball report podcast it is monday morning october 28th 2019 i'm your host shitty weekend yeah i'm (laughs) I'm your host Sam Klein. This week, I have as usual. I, well, I say we still have Donald Wine as we have the last few weeks. Donald, hello, good morning.
0: Good morning. It's it's a it's a very struggle of of a Monday morning because uh, Sam, you and I were watching a lot of sports this weekend, um, <laughs> and they weren't. None, none of, of them were great. <laughs> pretty much none of it went well,
1: and yeah. and more importantly, we have to welcome back Jason Evans, who has returned from his. Uh,
2: gallivanting uh, around beautiful places of the world, Jason. Uh, welcome back! Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, I will tell people that if you can ever get to Venice and Croatia and Greek islands, it's worth doing. <laughs> that
0: was that was probably the the wildest flex I've ever seen you do on this show.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I was in I I was in Zion
1: National Park this week for fall break. Zion. Uh, it was, it was also it was also rather beautiful, and also it meant that leading up to it, I got to tell people. They said, "Where are you going for fall break?" And I kept saying, "Zion." And at Duke, that means something different than it does to most other people in the U.S. So that was fun as well. But Jason, your photos were great. So thank you. Uh,
2: thank you. It was fun. Uh, but, it was really
1: cool. But we have to move on to more important,
2: uh, sadder
1: things, I suppose.
2: So can I yes. can I make a prediction? This will be the least listened to podcast of this year, because no one wants to hear about the Carolina loss, and no one wants to hear about the exhibition game that did not go way we'd hoped for our Blue Devil basketball
1: So So, uh, thanks for teeing it up. We will <laughs> will be discussing two it's really unfortunate for. <laughs> games for the Blue Devils. Uh, we also haven't spoken since Duke lost a football game at Virginia, but whatever at this point. So let, let's let just get through it. Um, the first game, of course, that we have to discuss is the first real, well, semi-real basketball game of the season. Duke had their first exhibition game in Cameron Indoor. It was against Northwest Missouri State, a Division II team that won the Division II National Championship last year, which is tradition, of course, for the Blue Devils. They always host the Division II National Champions. And Duke Eked out a sixty-nine to sixty-three win. So when we talk wait, about wait, each wait, of-
2: wait, 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 let's let's be clear, because everyone looks at the final score. Not a lot of people could see this game because it was on ACC Network Extra, which is only available to seven people in three different states, I believe. Um, even though the final score was, you know, like less than ten points, Duke led by twenty with with five minutes to go in this game. They led by mm-hmm. fifteen with two minutes to go, two and a half minutes to go, and then. Northwest Missouri State like they were away like three or four threes down the stretch, but but still leading by 20 isn't even that good. So, so anyway, but it wasn't so as close that, as the final score indicates
1: all of that to say um, I because of because of other sporting events that somehow took precedent over watching the Duke games this weekend because both of the games we're discussing happened on Saturday night. I was unavailable because I was in attendance at the World Series on Saturday night, which was its own set of disappointment as Donald alluded to earlier. So, I didn't get to watch either of these games live, so the way that we'll be discussing this is that I will be looking at scores and asking you guys what the heck happened. So Jason, you you sort of you sort of started it off for us. What happened against Northwest Missouri State? I see that that Duke's three point shooting was poor. Um, I see that Northwest Missouri State was basically just chucking threes the whole game. Um, is that is that kind of the story here, and is that the classic exhibition game tall team versus short team? situation that went on
2: yeah i mean I, I think you can probably count on one hand the number of shots that duke hit outside of about five feet or so from the basket um folks if you want if you could not see the game you can you can look at the shot chart on uh, on you know go duke has a link to to a box score and you can look at the shot chart duke was duke was pretty much either shooting layups you know shots within three or four feet of the basket or or missing <laughs> Almost everything we took outside of a few feet from the basket was was a miss. That's just the reality. I mean, the only guys who hit three pointers were Cassius Stanley and and J Rob Justin Robinson. Um, who who you know you figure Justin Robinson probably not going to play a ton this year. Um, you know, tenth eleventh man, and uh, Cassius Stanley, a guy who doesn't have a reputation for for shooting outside that much, although maybe he should shoot more. Um, a lot of guys for Duke took three pointers. I mean, uh, you know, Wendell Moore, Matthew Hurt, and Trey Jones all put up three or four three pointers. Just no one hit any. They didn't look terrible. It's not like these guys looked like they didn't know how to hit it, but they they just didn't go down. I'd I'd like to hope that that this team is going to have games where they hit threes. But last year we hoped the same thing, and it and it didn't happen very much, other than the Kentucky game at the you know the very first game of the season. Um, I, I will say on the good side that I, they figured out how to score points without getting buckets on the perimeter. I mean, Matthew Hurt, who has a reputation as a guy who can hit three-pointers, um, uh, recognized that he could use his size and score in the paint relatively with ease. Now, he had to contort. I was impressed. He, he had to really contort his body around a lot um, to get his shoulders square to where he needed them to be to to make the shot. But But I thought he was—he finished really, really nicely in the post. Um, But but aside from him, I I didn't see—I didn't see much offense from other guys. I mean, Duke would Duke would score off of steals. You know, Wendell Moore scored all his baskets off of steals. Trey Jones got pretty much all his baskets off of you know either steals that he got or someone else got or a breakaway in some way. He had a couple backdoor cuts, but uh, and Trey actually had one like jumper from the elbow. But everything else he made was inside of four feet and and it's i mean it's concerning it's certainly very concerning that that duke again seems like a team that isn't going to hit many shots outside of the paint and and i don't know that we have anybody like actually wait i'll be clear we don't have anybody like zion or rj who are going to get to the basket and get those shots in the paint the way those two guys did um I mean, I, I'm I'm worried, but I'll say this: for for the past few years, I feel like Duke has come out of the gate really strong. I mean, remember, like last year, we blew the doors off of Kentucky, and everyone we had you know, to do a we had to do a special show for it because it yeah. was so overwhelming. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we basically I, just laughed through the whole thing. Right, At, two years ago, remember we came out and we won that that Nike tournament. I forget what it was called, but it was like PK eighty. The yeah, Phil, the, thank the you. Phil Knight. Thank you. The Phil Knight tournament, which was the, that impressive field, and, and it was all those games. Wasn't that the year with all those games we were way down, and then we'd come back and win in mm-hmm. overtime and stuff like that? We started out the year so strong, and I feel like the year before that, we I, I don't remember exactly what happened, but but in recent years, I feel like the best Duke team has been a team that we saw in November or December. I, I, I It'd be kind of nice. Maybe this year is the year that we the best Duke team we will see will be – in February and March, that'd be a good change, if you ask me.
1: So this is we're we're following the Michigan State plan this year, then.
2: Where hey, I'll take. I feel it. like Tom Izzo's developed that reputation for for losing
1: all these games early, figuring it out in Big Ten play, and then all of a sudden being a, a two seed or something. Um, that may perhaps that's the way that the Duke is going. Donald, what else did you see um, from this game against Northwest Missouri State?
0: Well, uh, Jason talked about the three-point shooting, and I thought that was one area of primary concern. The other one was at the free throw line. We were thirteen for twenty-two. Uh, obviously, down the stretch, we actually did hit uh, some free throws to kind of keep uh, keep the game, you know, out of reach. But I think one thing that's going to be concerning is the fact that we can't make them during the during the game. Thirteen for twenty-two is not a good free throw percentage; It's fifty-nine percent from the line. And when you we go up against these bigger teams uh, or, or better teams, and you have teams that are going to try and foul people like Vernon Carey and Wendell Moore uh, and Javid Delorie Instead of letting them get dunks, they're going to have to earn it at the free throw line. And if they can't do that, then we're going to be in a lot of trouble because the, that's not only points missed out on. That's also momentum that we don't get uh, from from you know them having to adjust to – actually defend somebody so that was an area of primary concern I do I will say that you know uh, Sam I think when you went to uh, the media day you mentioned that Coach K had talked about Matthew Hurt and how he might be the most ready of the freshmen and he seemed to be that guy that was ready uh, at least for you know a game where we're playing a different opposition other than ourselves Uh, 17 points he was eight for 16 he Kind of did a little bit of everything, and I think that is something that's you know I, I want to point that out because a it was very nice and b I think that is going to be uh, that versatility is going to be ne- necessary especially in the early season when we're trying to find who we're going to turn to for points. Um, so I thought that was good, and finally I think spreading out, looking at the minutes played, we've talked about the kind of rotations and stuff. Uh, Vernon Carey, who we expected to be in the starting lineup, only played ten minutes and. Uh, I, I don't think that's a cause for concern in itself, but I, it, I do think it was interesting that the one guy that we thought was ready to go and the guy that was a, probably a sure five-star of was Trey Jones, that he had the fewest minutes of any of the starters, and, and there, was, there were four or five guys off the bench that had more minutes than him.
1: Perhaps that is a that is Trey Jones still coming back from the injury. I, I don't, no, no, no. I don't he, know he anybody meant, talking meant, about
2: that. He meant Vernon Carey. Has, oh, Vernon yeah, Carey. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can't I explain, can't explain that very much. <laughs> well, I, 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 it was a function of matchups. I think that, I mean, it seems sort of silly to say Coach K was playing to win. I mean, he always plays to win, even against in a D2 exhibition. But um, uh, Northwest Missouri State was spreading out the floor. It was not the kind of game that Vernon Carey was going to be able to be an effective defensive player and win, and, and, and he, he committed like two or three offensive fouls um early on in the contest and i think coach k sort of went this isn't a game that that is his kind of game Um, matthew hurt on the other hand is able to go inside and score against especially against smaller teams the way vernon Carey could but hurt is able to play um perimeter defense and play defense in a way that allowed him to be effective against smaller players and so that's why hurt kept on hurt stayed in the game and Carey did not
1: so Jason, did you did you have any more notes on on Northwest Missouri State before we move on to the football?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I did. Very quickly, want to say, you know, amid all the doom and gloom and and concern about this team, I was impressed with the defense. Um, this is a team. Usually, a lot of freshmen would seem to be lost on defense, and and I didn't think that was the case at all. Um, and I want to I want to mention Jordan Goldwire, who, you know, this is a guy who came to Duke. Uh, the opposite of highly touted, um, you know, basically was an afterthought recruit, not even, I think not even a top 200 recruit. And um, he's turned into a major league D1 defensive player. Um, He had four steals in this game. He's a guy who just knows where to be on the floor. Um, And I think that when you put him and Trey Jones and Wendell Moore together on the perimeter, which I think you're going to see a lot of, it is going to be a really fierce defensive unit. Those, those guys combined for nine steals in this game. And, and as I mentioned earlier, steals leading to layups is how Duke got a lot of its offense um, in this contest. Now, I know we're playing against D2 players, but Northwest Missouri State is a really, really good Division two team. I think I read someplace they've won. I may be wrong about this. I think I heard that they would won like 200 out of their past 205 games or something like that. They went undefeated last season. Yeah, they're 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 really good um, for d- Division Two. This is you know I don't know how they do as a D one team. I don't know if they're a five hundred D one team or not. I guess it depends on what conference they'd be in and stuff like that. But but they're not just tossing the ball away. And I thought we did play good, smart defense. We did not allow them to get easy shots. They were raining threes, but they had to earn most of them. And you know we've seen I mentioned earlier about Duke teams that peaked early. I think a lot of those Duke teams were really good on offense from the start. I think this is a Duke team that's going to be really good on defense from the start.
1: Donald, any more to add on on Northwest Missouri State, or would you like to move on and maybe look ahead at, at the next exhibition and talk about sort of what you're looking for from Duke in that game?
0: Let's Yeah, let's move forward. And I think when we talk about the game on Wednesday, um, Wednesday night, we – I want to see a team that kind of goes out and kind of sees we see some improvement in the sense that they're putting starting to put some of these things together. You know, the rotations are going to still be kind of wild and loose. Uh, we're going to see some different sets and we're going to see what we can throw at different teams. But I want to see guys take a look at this performance and say, OK, how how can I improve uh, in, in in certain areas? And I think. That's something that we see a lot from – you'll see that learning curve very quickly from the upperclassmen. But this is the freshman's first test to kind of take a look at what they've done and use that to apply to the next game, next play, uh, as we always say uh, in Duke circles. So I'm looking for that. I want to see maybe Vernon Carey uh, improve a little bit more. And see what he can do uh, with, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, And I want to kind of see our shooting improve. Let's see if there is some improvement in that shooting. Uh, But really, I think the one thing that we can always concentrate on and we can always focus on is the free throw line. The free throw line, I think, is going to be essential to us this season because that is going to be free points that we're going to get that down the stretch will matter. So I want to see. I think if I'm looking for something to improve in the stat sheet, it's that it's that column right there, that free throw column. Because if we can make our free throws this year, that will mean that we're going to be a much better team, especially when we're talking about improving towards March.
1: Yeah, I, I because we didn't get to see Vernon Carey much. I think it'd be it'd be good, even though I assume that Fort Valley State, another Division two team, again, won't have the size to match up with him would like to see him just a little more because he needs that practice getting fouled. And and we will be playing teams that, that aren't that big this year. So he needs to be effective in all of those games, not just in the games where he goes up against um, another talented big man.
0: Um, And really just going through like, you know, going through the the motions of like, Hey, being tired, like things like that. Like, I think he needs to get that where, you know, it's late in the game. He's played 30 minutes. You're, you're dead tired and you still have to figure out a way to power through and execute. And I think that's what a lot of these freshmen need to learn. And and they're learning it on the job, which is uh, kind of the, what you got to do in college basketball, but that's what I'm kind of looking for. It's who's going to be the guy that down the stretch is like, Hey, I'm tired, but I'm going to power through and execute and make my free throws and make these shots and get the W. The, the thing that
1: gives me hope on that end is, the, the callback to Vernon Carey talking so much in the preseason about how he's worked with Jalil Okafor, who went through his own struggles on uh, on conditioning and and being ready at the end of games. Hopefully, those lessons have rubbed off on him, and he is prepared. You know, I, I don't think we expect Vernon Carey to be so good that he's playing 30 or 35 minutes a game for this team, but he should be. You know, thinking that he's that good and thinking that he needs to be prepared for that, and I uh, that's where that's where Okafor sometimes maybe came up short, um, even as he transitioned to the NBA. Perhaps Vernon Carey can take some of those lessons and be and be more prepared than uh, than his predecessor was. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentleman of Bird Campbell, PA. With business law offices in Florida and in Texas for all of your legal needs, contact Bird Campbell at B Y R D C A M P B E L L dot com, birdcampbell.com, because Bird Campbell means business. All right, we will move from the disappointing basketball win to the I don't know more disappointing less disappointing football loss Duke played their longtime arch rivals North Carolina on Saturday evening in Keenan Stadium and unfortunately this is the year that that Duke has given up the victory bell we had held it for the last 3 years but Carolina has it back now it was a 20 to 17 win and there were some strange coaching decisions in this day, game Donald can you walk me through what happens at the end there to lead to the, to the Tar Heel victory.
0: Yeah. So we got to talk about the last play, obviously. Oh my God, <laughs> um, JC, you know what? I want to let you do this because, or at least start, because I know you have thoughts and I have thoughts. So I'm trying to figure out a way to not curse. So why don't you go ahead and do it? <laughs> um.
2: So for those who, who did not see it, for those who did not know what happened, um, uh, Duke is, has the ball at the two-yard line. Um, I don't even. Why am I going to bother to go through this? Why should I relive this? Oh my God! I, I, we 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 threw an interception. Our 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 running back threw an interception to North Carolina's former quarterback. I, I, <laughs> what are the odds of that happening? And
1: um, and former quarterback who was it was previously a Duke commit, a yes. Duke recruit.
2: Yes, yes, Chaz Surratt. We we shall not mention his name again um I, I i'll say this i'm baffled i don't understand why we ran that play but even more than that i don't understand why we ran that formation so the situation is there's around i think it was like 13 14 maybe 15 seconds left it was like 17 um, seconds left when the, when 17, the okay. it 17 yeah. okay with that amount of time left there's very little chance to run the ball um everyone sort of knows that you have to pass it because duke does not have a timeout and if there's a big pile you know the carolina guys are going to be pretty slow to get up and you you run the risk if there's a big pile especially like if a guy's turning his legs and trying to get forward and and he gets held up for a couple seconds it could happen that you don't get a chance to get a formation where you can spike the ball and get your field goal unit on the field to to kick the winning field goal so everyone knows a pass has to be coming so duke comes out and comes out with a formation where we had one guy you know, split out wide, one wide receiver. But we had, I think, three running backs behind Quinton Harris. We, we packed the box. There were 10 Duke players and 10 North Carolina players all within a, you know, four-yard space of each other. And in that mass of bodies, you asked a non-quarterback, you asked a running back to throw the ball through all those arms and legs and everything else and get the ball to our tight end. I, I, I don't understand why we were in that formation. Spread it out. Spread it out. At least pretend like you have the option to pass the ball, like a, a legitimate pass. And by spreading it out, at least there's, there's more room for guys to see what's going on. Uh, I, I, I thought it was a terrible, abysmal play call. There are, there are only certain plays that prevent you from having a chance to win that game. And we picked one of those plays. And, and that's, that's incredibly tragic. I, I'm bitter. I, I sit here. I wish people could see me, you know, I'm like contorting around. Um, David Cutcliffe and, and his coaches know more about football than I do. I'm abundantly clear about that. They have lived this, they have breathed this for decades uh, in ways that I can't even begin to imagine. So I guess they're smarter than me about it, but Jesus, that was a stupid play call. And, and it was a stupid formation, and it didn't fool anyone. Everyone knew you had to pass the ball. Chaz Surratt said after the game we expected them to do a jump pass or something like that. It's, you finally it's really nailed it, though.
0: Go, go. go. I, here, here's Rock, the bet. here's the worst thing about that play. It wasn't that it was a halfback pass. It wasn't that it was the formation was set with basically a jumbo set with one tight end and one wide receiver. So they knew that something was coming. It's that it was a jump pass. Like, come on, man. Like, did did Pete Carroll jump into the sideline and call this play? Like, what is what's going on? Because that's not something that we do. We we have to have a play at that time. That's something that is bread and butter. Everyone knows that we can run it in our sleep, and everyone knows exactly where to be. There's this is not the the point in the game for tricks and gimmicks. Unless and let's, it's let's a, remember Duke was on the the one yard line earlier in the game and didn't get it in, and didn't get it in, and they and they ended up kicking a field goal. So, but at the same time, you have to go with what you know got you to that point you don't go with hey let's try something this isn't philly special time that even that didn't occur at the last 14 seconds of the game there's there's no time left in the game which is the right the the problem yeah And, and they should have you know 14 17 seconds or whatever it was i think it was 17 or 18 seconds when the play started that's enough time if you do it right for three plays to go out find a wide receiver or somebody, you see nobody's open, throw it away. Try it again. Do it again. Try try it again. If there's nothing, you throw the ball away and you bring on the field goal unit and kick the field goal and go to overtime and take your chances there. But to do a gimmick play at that point, that's something that obviously our team had not done much before because they uh, they were very skittish in actually executing the play. I'm probably sure that the that UNC was probably like, what the hell are they doing when they line up with three running backs, knowing just like Jason said, that pass yeah. has to be an option. Exactly. And exactly. those sort of things are are what's mind boggling because like you said, Jason, we obviously are not coaches. And we, I respect the hell out of Coach Cut, but I, I don't understand that last play. I don't understand some of the, you know, other plays obviously during the game. But when we look back at that game, that play was designed not to win the game, but to be a legendary moment in this rivalry, and it fell way short.
2: It, we should have oh, just it,
0: gone for the win.
2: It was a legendary moment, but for the wrong side, for the wrong reason.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, one thing.
2: So, I, One thing that really quick, Sam, and I'll I'll let you go, Donald, you pointed out that um, you were talking about the fact that whether we were, we were, you know, that's the kind of thing we do and whether we were practicing it and such. Uh, Coming into this game, there was something that I identified that I was like, "Uh oh, I'm a little worried about this. So um, uh, Riley, one of the posters on the board, uh, Riley, who's an excellent poster, had posted Duke's margin of victory or defeat in all their previous games. Um. Uh, against Virginia Tech, we won by 35, we beat NCAA and T by, th- by 32, blah, blah, blah. And then our worst losses were we lost to Virginia by 34, Alvin, by 39. I, I bring this up because I looked at the, his list of all the games we played this year and the Pitt game, w- which was a three-point loss, is the only game under 17 points this year. Coming to this game, Duke had played seven games. Only one of them had been decided by less than 17 points. And let's remember that that Pitt game, it really wasn't that competitive in the fourth quarter until the very, very end. Duke was down by a lot. and We came back late. So Duke hadn't played a game with the game on the line in the fourth quarter all season. UNC, on the other hand, this Carolina team, they've
0: been in nothing but close games.
2: They had played seven games decided by six or fewer points. Each one of those seven games was decided in the final minute and a half. I mean, like... When, when we're knocking on the door with a chance to win or lose at the very end of the game, we're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And UNC was like, yeah, been there, done that again, 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 and again. Um, now, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, I wish Duke had played, you know, closer games against Georgia Tech and NCAA and Team Virginia Tech. Oh, I, I love beating the pants off of those teams. But this was a Carolina team that was not going to panic and a Duke team that I think may have had a little bit of panic in them.
1: I think this is a it's an excellent time for Tuke to be having their second bye week coming up because this this loss this one being the close loss and then and then the really awful loss the week before against virginia are sort of indicative of of the range of issues that this team might have um particularly on offense i feel like you know i, I got to see the the first part of the carolina game and it just felt like um either the offense was was tipping their hand or they were being too predictable. For whatever reason, they just they couldn't get anything done against a UNC team that we know isn't, you know, an elite football team. So uh, it's probably a good opportunity for Duke to be getting this reset, especially because looking ahead, um, Duke has two very hard home games, but against really tough opponents. The first of which in two weeks is against Notre Dame, um, who is currently licking their own wounds after a after a loss to Michigan that I'm sure Donald is is excited about, but then <laughs> hell yeah. um, uh, and they've, they've got, they've got another contest before that against Virginia tech. And then the week after is Syracuse who hasn't quite been as impressive as, as I think a lot of people expected them to be this season, but we know is very talented. Both of those games are in Durham. Um, but I'm sure you can expect that for Notre Dame, the <laughs> Wallace Wade stadium will be, um, will have a lot of uh, gold golden blue there in addition to the, in addition to the Duke blue, um, so so it's I, I think it's a good time for Duke to be um sort of regrouping and and maybe coming up with some new schemes. Donald did you have anything uh, else on on this game or or Jason?
2: I, you know while it while it stings a lot and uh you know you feel like this was a one that we absolutely could have won and we found a way to lose. Um Carolina was the better team in my opinion. Um they they deserved to win. They they ran the ball. I was Thrilled every time they went back to pass the ball, because I thought that they were very, very effective running against us. and and our 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 defense um, has been one of our strong points this year, and I'm not saying it was bad in this game, but Carolina really ran the ball effectively against us. There's nothing more disheartening. Um, I'm thinking of you know Carolina's final drive than the other team being in obvious run it up the middle mode and being unable to stop them. Um, we we actually got really lucky that we got a turnover late that gave us that chance to win, um, and and then you know the last two things I wanted to mention really quickly, uh, Duke even though we're going to lament the the final drive um, that that ended up in the interception, the reality is Duke had three other possessions in the fourth quarter, two of which started basically at midfield, like at our own forty five. And we gained a total of five yards of offense on those other three possessions. These were with the game tied. These were possessions where if you take the ball and gain even 20 yards, you know, get two first downs, you're going to be in field goal range. And we we didn't do anything on these possessions. And our offense was frustratingly bad throughout almost this entire game. And then the last thing was, just to prove to you guys that I listened to your preview, Donald, you talked about in the preview – You talked about holding on to the ball, and uh, this is now, in Duke's three ACC losses, we have 14 turnovers. Um, We have zero turnovers in our two ACC wins. Um, We've got to find a way not to throw interceptions and fumble the ball. It's it's a killer, 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 because our offense, to be honest, isn't that great anyway. And... For us to be giving the ball away the way we did in this game, again,
0: uh, is, is fatal for this team. So I will end with it, you know, something a little bit positive in the sense that when we look at this, despite the last three weeks of just kind of being kind of abysmal, we still have a shot to win the Coastal. We still have a chance to become bowl eligible and go to a pretty decent bowl game. What we have to do, like you said, Jason, we got to stop turning the ball over. We have to be more consistent on offense. And I thought defense is actually pretty decent for, for most of the game. Uh, And they just had a couple of errors here and there, but things that can be changed. If this team can turn it around, there's still a whole month. I mean, we have the bye week, as Sam said, and then we have a whole month of football left. And two of those games, I think, are, are, are very difficult. Uh in, in Notre Dame and, and even Wake has been playing pretty well. But you also have uh Miami, who has been very inconsistent, and Syracuse, who has also been inconsistent. Those are two winnable games, in my opinion. If we could get those two and maybe, you know, surprise some folks against uh Wake at, and maybe Notre Dame. This team can still go to a good bowl game. This team can still leapfrog some teams and, and maybe contend to win the coastal these are still things in play here but they have to play like it that's the bottom line and they and they know that which is the the good thing is that
1: they have this they have this time to recoup and think about it but yeah it's been a the, I, I don't know if this reminds me exactly of a couple seasons ago when they went when they went like five and oh and then lost six games and then won their last two like you know they, they were sort of this weird like uh season of segments but uh, perhaps it's shaping up like that and maybe maybe there's that that turnaround is is coming up soon but we shall see guys let's finish off uh this unfortunately depressing episode with um some parting shots donald uh, what do you got for us this week
0: so Like Sam, I I was not at game four uh, of the World Series, but I did make it to game five. And I will say, uh, this is my second World Series that I've been to. I went to one when my Tigers were playing uh, in 2012. But I will say this, even though that the Houston Astros won the games this weekend here, it was something incredible to watch as this town became alive. The last few weeks, usually DC does not have sports to talk about. And this whole thing with DC sports actually becoming something that people talk about that's at the forefront of everybody's mind, it was nothing short of inspirational. So I will say to the Mystics and to the Nationals, um, the runs that they both have had throughout the postseason in the last month has been something that's kind of really made that. So this town talks about something other than politics, and that's really hard to do. Uh, so, it, despite yesterday, I, I thought the World Series was great. Has been. I've been having a lot of fun. Hanging out in the Navy Yard has just been absolutely in, insanity. Um, and, and really, even though, like I said, even though the games didn't really go the Nationals way, I think this is something that this town will remember for a long time. And and I think that is, there's something to be said about that. The, the power of what sports can do to United City, you're seeing it here in Washington, D.C.
1: I I'll, I'll finish up with the nets. So Jason, why don't you uh why don't you take the second parting shot for us?
2: Okay, so everyone remembers the 2015 National Championship team. It was a team that had some great guards, some some great point guards, guys who um uh, yeah, Tyus Jones, Quinn Cook who who went to shooting guard, um you know, a, a, certainly in the NBA is more of a point guard. Um Grayson Allen played some point guard in his career. Uh, and 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 has played some point guard in the NBA as well. Um, raise your hand if you thought the best NBA point guard coming out of that team would be Justice Winslow. Um, I see no one's hands raised. Folks, if you are not paying attention to what Justice Winslow is doing for the Miami Heat right now, you are missing something special. Dude is, it, it is truly amazing. He is playing point guard for the Miami Heat through 3 games this year he's averaging 19 points per game, 9.3 rebounds per game and 6.7 assists per game. Th- those are kind of like LeBron James kind of statistics. Um Justice is playing fabulous basketball. Um, Miami is 2 and 1 and looks like one of the surprise teams in the East and just it, it, I've I've seen a little bit of their highlights. He's playing great ball. He's playing more than 40 minutes per game. Now um uh Jimmy Butler is out, um, and when he comes back, I think that Justice's numbers will go down some and the ball won't be in his hands quite as much. Um, But this sort of started late last year with him playing point guard for them. They have discovered that this 6'6 linebacker um, is a a great point guard for them. He facilitates, he sets other guys up, and uh, he's turned into a pretty good shooter. And then the last thing I wanted to mention about Justice, um, have you all seen the video of him the at the timberwolves game the other day and uh did did you guys see this no no i didn't okay so i'll i'll post i actually i think someone else had posted it um on uh in the forums but in our thread about this um uh in our thread about uh uh this podcast i'll i'll post the video um justice uh, in the warmups in their game against the Timberwolves, starts sort of playing ball with a young fan in the stands. And the kid, like Justice is dribbling and things like that. And then he passes the ball to the kid in the stand. And the kid passes it back to him. He does this like three or four times. And by the way, each time after the kid passes it back to him, Justice sort of turns around. Now he's he's out close to the baseline, uh, close to the timeline. Um, he turns around and buries a three-pointer each time. <laughs> like he, he has improved his outside shooting in a big, big way. But this kid, or maybe, maybe it's, just, or maybe it's the crisp passes that he was getting. There you go. From this eight-year-old Timberwolves fan. <laughs> <laughs> but but this kid uh immediately after this game went out and bought himself a, even though he's a Timberwolves fan, he bought himself a Miami Heat Justice Winslow uniform. And this kid is the biggest Justice Winslow fan in the world right now. Um it's it's great. It's a great video. Um and, and it's just justice engaging with the fans. I, I love that dude. I remember how much. You always saw a smile on his face. And now that he's doing it as a pro, the smile's still there. He still loves the fans, and he's still having a good time. And uh, he's just one of the surprises of this NBA season early on. I think it's great.
0: One note about uh, Justice Winslow is that uh, I was watching uh, soccer the other day, and NBC Sports in a couple of weeks is doing a week on mental health in sports. And Justice Winslow actually is one of the athletes that is featured in the commercial uh, that apparently has a uh, either a show or a segment on uh, on his challenges with mental health, along with you know a lot of other players. So I, that's something, I think it's November 7th to 11th that they're doing that. So that'll be interesting to see uh, because uh, he's been a big advocate in the last few years about uh, making sure that players deal with the mental health uh, challenges of being a professional athlete. And he's been at the forefront of that along with Kevin Love and the NBA. So that'll be interesting to watch too. And it's it's good to see, him, you know, kind of be uh, out front with that in such a you know sense of subject for a lot of people, but also to tell people that it is okay to not be okay sometimes. So, ch- kudos to him for that, and I'm looking forward to watching it.
1: So, on that basketball front, I will a, a couple final notes here. Um, we found out this week uh, or two weeks ago that um, former Duke players Kyle Singler and Luol Deng were both retiring from the NBA. Lew Deng obviously had a had a very long career that was most prominent with the Bulls, but he played for a number of different franchises. Um, he, of course, played at Duke all the way back in 2004 and is now finally retiring. Kyle Singler graduated in 2011 and, of course, won a national championship. And his career has come to an end. I think, um, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm honestly surprised that that his career wasn't more successful um he played a little bit overseas at the beginning of his career during the lockout then came back uh was on the pistons for a little bit and then and then signed a longer deal with the Oklahoma City Thunder um but uh so best wishes from us at at DBR to both Kyle and Luol on their on their futures and and uh you know they're both players that I think Duke play the Duke fans really remember overwhelmingly positively even though uh, Luol Deng was only on campus for a year. It seems like he had a, uh, a big impact.
2: Crazy Luol Deng stat. I mean, crazy stat. He is the fourth all-time leading scorer in Chicago Bulls history. Think about the legends for that franchise. I mean, one of the franchises has been around for a long time. Luol Deng is the fourth leading scorer in Chicago Bulls history. That's, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, and he wasn't there I mean, that that long. It wasn't like he was there. I think he played 15 years. I don't think he was there all 15 seasons. Like, he, he, he did that he, in, a small, in, a, in a shortened period of time to, compared to a lot of the guys that, that are ahead of him.
2: He played for them for 10 years, yeah.
0: Yeah. So,
1: um, yeah, impressive careers. We'll see if if either of them shows back up at Duke for any reason this year. Um, Kyle Stingler's old, old classmate, Nolan Smith, of course, is uh, all over the program these days. So, wouldn't be surprised to see him at a game at some point. Um Donald had Donald had tipped and, off the parting and John, shots. And John Shire. And John Shire, uh, who's who was a year ahead of us. Yeah. So um Donald's had, had tipped off parting shots by mentioning uh the World Series. I was there on Saturday night. We didn't get to meet up, but um but yeah, it was uh it was incredible. I've been looking forward to uh to this weekend for, for fifteen years since the expos moved to Washington. So it was uh it was pretty incredible for me to be there even though Ah, uh, things didn't go so well, but maybe maybe the trend of road teams winning in this series will continue. And the Nats will just win games sixes and seven um, to to close out the series. But either way, it's been
0: it's been a um, a pretty cool run. I will say the best moment uh, about yesterday was uh, during the game, it was they announced a, a longtime Washington Senators fan who was a World War II veteran, turned a hundred yesterday and was at the game. And so he, they brought him out, I believe, in the bottom of the sixth inning or something like that. And everybody was like, "Of course, hundred year old celebrating his birthday at a World Series that, of a team that did that he predates um, it is incredible." But after the game, uh, to kind of wait out all the traffic because you know traffic was just absurd, um, I went to a bar after the game, and this one hundred year old World War II veteran strolled into the bar to a raucous applause. Um that's pretty cool. Um I, I I don't think I could celebrate a birthday in any in any special way like that. But uh for him to be able to do that at the World Series and then come into a bar and grab a drink like everybody else, hats off to that dude. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. All
1: right. So guys that'll that'll wrap it for this week. Um we will it, it's coming up on on um official season preview show so uh the stats game will be back pretty soon you'll you'll be looking out for that duke football is off next week as we mentioned so um we won't have to we won't have to discuss any duke football losses next week but we will be we will be previewing um the big uh tip-off game against kansas in basketball so uh for donald wine for jason evans i am sam klein this has been episode 170 of the Duke basketball report podcast as always brought to you by bird, Campbell, PA. We thank them of course, for their continued support of the show. And that's it for this week. Duke band. Take us home.